copy of the Word of God this morning. Want to turn uh, in the in the Scriptures? We'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter number twenty. I want to say again how glad I am to be in the house of God, and uh, we ought to always be glad. But there are some instances and times that you're just really glad to be in the house of God. And this morning's one of them mornings, and I appreciate it. Appreciate the singing this morning. It's wonderful. And to stir it in my heart. I'm glad that I knew who I was singing about when we sung He's the Dearest Friend I've Ever Had. I'm glad I knew that. I'm glad I knew what we were singing when I said I love the Lord deep down in my heart. And I'm glad for Him. I'm glad it's a supernatural love that's given from Him to us to love Him with. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm just glad to be here and trust the Lord will meet with us. He has already. I trust He'll continue to And help us in the service this morning. The Gospel of John chapter 20. Let's stand together if you're able. Willing to do so out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. John chapter 20. Very familiar scripture that I read in your hearing. We all know what's taking place here. The Lord's been crucified. They put Him in the tomb and He is risen on the first day of the week. I want to pick up reading in verse number 11 of the Gospel of John, chapter number 20. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back, saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning on our Father. I'm not one, those of you who have known me and been with me long enough know I'm not one to preach on occasion just because it's an occasion. But the Lord really got to do in my heart about our Father. I thought about this morning that I would preach and really reading the Scripture and and studying it and preparing for the morning service. I thought I would preach on the Father. That's what I thought. And then the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart and said, He's not just the Father. He said, It's your Father. And if you're saved this morning, He is our Father. 
And I said already that all through the scriptures there are many godly fathers that are mentioned. Many examples, many that we could preach about this morning. We could preach about Abraham and the type of father that he was. We could preach about Noah and what he did and how the Bible said in the book of Hebrews that he moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his household. He was a great father. We could preach about David and although David made many mistakes, he was a great father and charged Solomon at the end of his life to know God as he knew God. But the reality is in preaching about every one of those men, we would have to bear in mind that they were men and they failed. That somewhere along the line they messed up and made mistakes. And that many of them, their children, paid for their mistakes. I think about David, and even though the Bible does say that he was a man after God's own heart, yet his children paid for his mistakes. But we have a heavenly father who's never failed. He's never made a mistake. He's never had to back up and try to figure out where to go from here. One old preacher said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He doesn't just suddenly become aware, but he's always known. He knew about today before today ever got here. Before you and I ever walked into the building, who knew who would be here and who would not be here? And he knew what would be needful and necessary for the service this morning. That's our Father. And I think sometimes we do ourselves a discredit by not understanding the fact that not only is He our God, but He is our Father if you're saved this morning. And that's the truth that Jesus reveals not only here to Mary Magdalene, but this is out of all the things that He could tell to her to tell the brethren. He said, tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and their Father. Now here's Christ. He has preached for three and a half years publicly and he has proved himself to be the Son of God. Uh, We read this morning, or it was read in the Sunday school hour, about that time on the shores of Caesarea Philippi uh, where Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say uh, that I, the Son of Man, am? Uh, They said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. He said, But who do you say I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God. And he said, It's my Father which hath revealed this unto today. But in reality all the miracles and all the things that Christ did was just proof that he was who he said he was. But here on this day by the greatest proof that he has ever given the fact that he had power over death. That he raised himself from the dead. No man had ever done that. He raised others from the dead but the greatest proof and power that he was the son of God was that he raised himself from the dead it was not possible the scriptures say that he should be holding a death he had no sin and the strength of death is sin and so death had no strength and no power over
over him. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it again. And he was not speaking of the literal temple in Jerusalem but he's talking about the temple of his own body. He said as Jonah was in the bed of the well three days and three nights even so must the son of man be in the heart of the earth. He said I lay my life down. No man takes it from me. I have power to lay it down. And he said if I lay it down I have the power to take it again. And the scriptures say Jesus Christ declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Matter of fact, if you walk and they say that's where it was, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. I just know he's alive. But if you walk in that tomb in that garden over there in Jerusalem where they supposedly say that the Lord was laid and you walk through that garden, in the middle of the garden there's a monument that says that scripture, Jesus Christ declared with power by the resurrection to be the Son of God. And so here he stood. Not possible that he should be whole of death. Here he stood victorious over death, hell and the grave and his message for the first time to them is that he is my father and your father and so the Lord got to deal my heart about a father our father and I thought about all through life and also in the scriptures there are things that are associated with fathers and the Lord got to deal my heart about those things in light of our heavenly Father. That's what I want to preach on this morning if God will help me. There are just four things the Lord gave me and I'll give them to you. There are a lot of things that could be said. But these are the four that the Lord put on my heart. First of all, I want to say that there is a birth associated with the Father. If you are, if you have a Father, it's because one day you were born into the Father's family. And it's the same way with the heavenly Father. If you, if he is your father, it's because there was a blessed day that you were birthed into the family of God. We have a crowd in our day that runs around saying that God's the father of everybody. Well, that's contrary to scripture. I understand that generally speaking that God is the father in the fact that he created man. But there was a day that Jesus looked at a crowd and he said, you're of your father, the devil, because you're wicked. And the reality is that man can only be governed by one person. They're either serving sin and Satan and self or they're serving God. And they're either in the family of self or the family of Satan or they're in the family of God. And the only way to get in the family of God is to be born into the family of God. Jesus stood that day and talked to Nicodemus and he said you must be born again but Nicodemus couldn't understand that he said how can a man be born when he's old can he enter in the second time in his mother's womb he was trying to be logical about salvation but salvation is not a logical thing it's a supernatural work of God on the inside of an individual but Jesus said don't marvel at this don't stumble at this don't try to figure it out he said I say unto you, you must be born again. That's the only way for him to be your father is for you to be born into the family of God. Thank God I am. Anybody that's been born in the family, he's your father. 
And thank God he doesn't come to be your father today and forget about you tomorrow. He's not your father today and not the next day. You don't have to remind God that he's your father. He knows about if you're in the family of God, you're in the family of God. Thank God for that. Now that's not a license to do what you want to do. Though so many have preached it that way and lived it that way in our day. Being saved and in the family of God don't mean that you just got a one-way ticket to heaven and you can live any old way you want to. If you can live any old way you want to, there's something wrong between you and God. That's right. The old black preacher said, if you is what you was, then you ain't. And that's right. If you can do what you used to do and live how you used to live and get by with it, then it's an evident fact, not by my opinion, but according to Scripture, that you've never been birthed in the family of God. Because if you have a father that you've been birthed into the family, thank God for that. And the Bible speaks about it. I think we really misunderstand the fact I'm not talking about being irreverent, but sometimes we approach God as if He's some far distant being off yonder in the universe, and He is the supreme God. He is the ruler over everything. He does sit on the throne in heaven, but thank God because of that we've been born again, we can approach Him as our Father. That's a special relationship that we have. According to the book of Romans chapter 8, because we've been born again, we now can cry. We've not received the spirit of bondage, but we've been given the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You say, what's so special about that? Well, you can get in the language and all of that. I don't feel led to this morning, but what I do feel led to say is if you look in the Gospel of Mark chapter 16, I think it is, that's the very title which Christ referred to the Father Himself. He cried in the garden in Mark's record, Abba, Father. If there be any way that this cup may pass from me except I drink it, nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. And since you've been saved and birthed in the family of God, and now He's His Father and your your Father, you can approach God in the same way that Christ approached God. That's a great truth. Jesus wanted them to understand He's not just my Father all the time He was on the earth. They kept saying, show us the Father. Show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But now it's not just me, Father, or His Father. He said, I'm going to my Father and your Father. Because of the work He did. Because we've been birthed in the family of God. Now He's our Father. And we can cry, Abba. That's the most personal address of Father. That's a Hebrew word for Daddy. That's the word we use in the English. That's the most closest translation to English there is. It's an affectionate term. It's a personal term. It's an intimate term. And Christ called Him that in the garden. And we can call Him that because He's our Father. Thank God for it. We're not waiting to be. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Some people think that we're waiting to get to heaven and get a glorified body and all that's true. We are. But we're not waiting till then to become the sons of God. John said, Beloved, now are you the sons of God. Now. Right now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of mystery about what we shall be. We don't even know what we shall be except for the fact that when we see Him, we will be like Him. 
And John said, don't try to figure all that out. Rest in the fact that now you are the sons of God. Now. What, a, what the Bible said, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He said, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. And there's just something about being associated with the family. If you're birthed into the family, and I didn't think about all this, but it's coming to my heart and my mind, I'm just going to try to follow the Lord. If you're birthed into the family, there's certain language that a family uses. You come to the table, sit down, somebody might just say somebody's name or mention a place, and everybody have a reaction. You have no idea what's going on. It's because it's family language. And I'm going to tell you, when you get birthed in the family of God, there's family language. When you get in a service and the people of God go to testify, it's family language that only the family of God understand. Only the family of God identify with. That's what the scripture said in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, because we are the sons of God, because we do have a father, his spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. It's not so much, and I may mention this maybe a few services ago, but I feel like I need to say it again. It's not, and I've heard a lot of people, and I understand the application, but nowhere in the Scripture will you ever read where it is in, in word that our spirit bear witness with each other. That's not in here. But our spirit does bear witness with His Spirit. And if His Spirit lives in you, and His Spirit lives in me, then our spirits do bear witness with one another because our spirits bear witness with the same Spirit that we are the sons of God. That's what the Spirit of God living inside of us testifies. That's what bearing witness means. It proves to us. Christ got up from the dead and proved that He was the Son of God. It didn't make Him any more the Son of God. It just made that testimony, the proof to others that He was. And so, uh, us testifying or feeling that fluttery feeling uh, down on the inside don't make us any more saved or any more a child of God. Uh, but it gives proof above the doubts of the flesh that we are the sons of God. That's right. And so if He is our Father, then it means we've been birthed in. But then I thought about, with a Father there is always the relation of a beginning. You've heard people say, well, He's the Father. You know, we talk about Abraham. And people say that Abraham was the father of faith. Like faith, demonstrated faith, almost began with Abraham. Of course, we know that there were others. Noah's mentioned that he participated in faith or faith worked through him and by faith he built. But we know, of, we know of Abraham, we call him the father of faith. And it's almost, what's associated with that is the beginning. I thought about our father. He's the beginning of everything. I thought about he's the father of life. No life was ever without him. Both in creation, I thought about life, and boy, it got to stir in me. And then the Holy Ghost said, both in creation and in conversion, and life begins with Him. There was no life. The Bible said that the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Then the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, which is a type of the Holy Spirit working on a sinner. That's what sinners are without form and void. Darkness. We live in darkness. That's why the Bible said when we got saved, we got translated out of darkness and into light and into the kingdom of His dear Son. So life began with Him. God spoke. And He said, let there be light. And so He's the Father of light. 
There's no light without Him. Both physical and spiritual light. That's what James said. He said every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights. Lights plural. Spiritual light and physical light. But there was no light in the beginning, in creation, in physical things. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God does the same thing according to Paul. The same God that commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shone abroad in our hearts. Has He done that? Through the light of the glorious gospel that comes from the Father of light. And without light, there is no light. The Bible said, John said, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He said, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so all life and all light begins with Him. But then we, and I didn't know we was going to sing it this morning, but it had been on my heart. And I didn't tell Brother Tim to sing it. I just said we need to sing another song. And we sung it. I love the Lord. You know, He's the Father of love. And that's so misunderstood and mispreached in our day. I understand that generally God does love everybody, but only those who are born in the family of God really understand and have experienced the love of God. Hereby know we the love of God in that He laid down His Son, He gave His Son, laid down His life for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. All love starts with Him. When the writer wrote that song, and I say this about every time we sing it, but it needs to be said. When the writer wrote that song, they were not arrogantly proclaiming that they were on some spiritual plateau somewhere and they had learned to love God above everybody else. They were saying, God has put love in me and I love Him back with. It's just all of God. We love Him because He first loved us. In other words, until you've experienced the love of God, you don't even know how to love. People out here in the world, lost without God, Proclaiming they know what love is and trying to redefine. The reason they're trying to read it, and I'm not going to get on current events, I don't need to, but the reason they're trying to redefine what they say love is and they say love wins and loves this, they don't even understand love because they've never experienced the love of God. No man can love truly until he's experienced the love of God. I believe that's right. I don't believe, now I understand we may make the statement, and I know this is not popular. But I don't believe that a man can love his wife right until he's experienced the love of God. I don't believe parents can love their children right until they've experienced... I don't think anybody can love in any capacity truly and rightly until they've experienced the love of God for their self. Because a great proof of being born again is the love that abides in us. Ain't that what John said? Here We know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, there's no need for me to write unto you concerning brotherly love for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. In other words, Paul said it is natural for the people of God to love one another because the love of God's in us. And if the love of God's not in you, then it's an evident fact you're not of God. I mean, that's according to the Scriptures. He said, how can a man say I love God and hate his brother? He said it can't be. It cannot be. Because if you have that perfect love, 
He casteth out fear. Love covereth a multitude. Now, I'm not talking about we just love them and look up. That's not what that scripture means at all. But what that means is if you love your brother, it don't matter how many faults they have, you can overlook their faults because of the love of God that's in you. And that's right. We may not agree on everything. There are plenty of people in here this morning and we sat down and really talked. There are many things we might disagree on, but we love one another because we're of God. And so he's the beginning. But then it dawned on me. Now I'm, I'm preaching scripture now in Bible times. We, don't, we might not understand this concept so much. We might talk about an inheritance but in the Bible, if you were a father, it meant you carried a blessing. And you were going to give a birthright to somebody. And in Bible days, it would have been the eldest son would have been given the birthright. That's why And once the birthright is given, once the blessing is given, there's no more to give. That's why when Jacob deceived Isaac, and Isaac gave Jacob the blessing. Then Esau came in, who was the eldest brother. And he said, bless me also. And he said, I've already given it to your brother Jacob. He said, I can't. He did bless him, but he didn't bless him like he blessed Jacob. Because once the blessing is gone, there was no more blessing on the birthright. Now you think about that just a minute. I don't know if it means anything to you, if it even makes sense to you. It made sense in my heart because the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart. But the blessing belongs to the eldest brother who would be Christ. He's the elder brother. He deservingly has the birthright and the blessing. But he chose to step down Jacob stole the birthright through deception. He tricked. He connived. It's what the word Jacob means. It's a supplanter, a trickster, a deceiver. But our elder brother willingly stepped down and asked our father to confer the blessing upon all of us instead of on himself. That He loved us more than He loved His own life. That He loved us more. Do you understand that that at Calvary? I want you to understand, and we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. It was mentioned. And sometimes I think we really, I don't just think, I know that we overlook the magnitude of what Christ endured at Calvary. And the greatest suffering for Christ at Calvary was not the beating, it was not the nails, it was not the cross, it was not the nakedness, it was not the shame. But the greatest agony of Christ was that He was separated from His Father. He never had been. We are, we are finite individuals. We think of everything in time and space. But that has nothing to do with God. We cannot understand eternity. But Christ of the Son and the Father had always been together. No separation ever. Even when He took upon Himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of flesh and was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, Judea and laid in a manger, God the Father looked down in that, uh, that place where the animals would feed and drink and look and there was no separation between Him and His Son. 
At the age of 12 at the temple, there was no separation between him and his son. You say, preacher, do you have Scripture to prove that? I do. We don't know anything about him from 12 till 30, or at least it's not recorded in the Scriptures. But at the age of 30, that the prophecies might be fulfilled and the prerequisites to be a high priest. You had to be the age of 30. He cometh out. John said, I'm not him, but there's coming one after me who's preferred before me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unlatch his shoes. The Bible said the next day, John see it, Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus walked down in the water and said, John, baptize me. John said, I need to be baptized thee. He said, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He said, baptize me. Now, nobody had had any record of him from age 12 to age 30. But there was somebody watching. And he come up out of the water. And the Bible said the Holy Ghost descended in the form of a dove and lit on him. And the heavens opened. There was a voice from heaven. And he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. In other words, God the Father said, you've not seen Him for 18 years, but I have watched Him. He said, there's been no separation between us. There's no sin. There's no misuse. There's no harm. There's no guile. There's no mistake. There's no disappointment. There's no letdown. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. I'm well pleased in Him. And for three and a half years, God showed how pleased He was in the power of Christ to do the miracles that He did and preach the preaching that He did. And multitudes flocked to Him, even though many of them, as we said uh, this morning, came for the wrong reason. Uh, but there came a day at Calvary when He who knew no sin was made to become sin for us. Uh, the Bible said, you know the grace of God uh, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor that ye through His poverty might be made rich. He experienced the separation from God that he had never experienced in his human body. And we have to understand the fact that when he became flesh, he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. He was so much God that he had power over the wind. But it was so much man that he fell asleep in the back of the boat. He was so much God that he could take five barley loaves and two small fishes and feed 5,000 men besides women and children. But it was so much man that he could be, uh, that he was put in the wilderness and he was hungry and the devil tempted him with bread. And so as a man and as God, he never was. And I've said this so much and I want to say it again this morning. Nowhere in this scripture, we have to get our language right. Nowhere in this scripture was he ever made a sinner. He was never a sinner. He was made sin. All the sin of the world literally was not just laid on Christ, but God viewed Christ as sin for us. If that don't do something in you, something is wrong. That he who when God said, let us make man in our own image, was not talking to the angels, but it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost all present at the beginning. The Bible said in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. That there was no separation. And when He was made to become sin, the Bible said the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And God, because of sin, God cannot look upon sin the only reaction 
It doesn't matter what is preached or taught in the world today. Scripturally, the only reaction that God can have against sin is to judge it in holiness. It's what His holiness demands is judgment upon sin. And so when He looked at His Son, and it was no longer His Son He saw, but sin, He had to turn His back on His own Son. And that's why Christ cried, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? He never said much about Himself. Matter of fact, He prayed, Father, forgive them. The ones that are crucifying Me, forgive them. For they know not what they do. But one of the only statements He ever made concerning Himself was that He had been forsaken of His Father. That's the greatest suffering that Christ endured for us. He, as the elder brother, stepped down and commanded the birthright to be placed upon us. That now that we are saved, we have these things that accompany salvation. The Bible said, God, who freely gave His Son for us, shall He not also with Him give us all things? I'm going to say this. Christ endured on the cross hell for every man. Because the greatest thing about hell will not be the fire and the worms and the bottomless pit, but it will be the fact that there will be a separation totally from God for eternity. See, even sinners, even this wicked world cannot comprehend the fact that the presence of God is helping. The Bible said that He is good to all. All. He reigneth on the just and the unjust. There'll come a place where there'll be no presence of God. So with our Father, we have this blessing. And it was taught about, and that is, can I say this? And I'm not trying to teach or over or reteach what was said this morning in the Sunday school hour. But the birthright we have is a birthright. It's not a birth opportunity that maybe. It's not that maybe some of the children of God have privilege to walk with God, but it is a birthright available to every child of God. And the birthright we have is a fellowship and an intimate walk with God every day. And many people miss it. They think the walk with God is Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But this is a daily walk. The writers of those old songs knew what they were talking about when they wrote, He walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am His own. One writer said, Hand in hand we walk each day. Hand in hand along the way. Walking thus I cannot stray hand in hand with Jesus. You say, that's being awful arrogant. No, it's not being arrogant. It's stating a fact. If you are walking close enough where you have your hand in His hand, it's impossible to stray far from someone when you're hand in hand. I understand we live in the flesh. David said, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. There are plenty of those days. But there can also be days where hand in hand we walk each day. Because we have a birthright. Because we have a father. And I was sitting on the front pew there this morning while Brother Tim was teaching. It didn't have anything to do with what he's teaching about. 
I thought that was all I need to say this morning. And I know this is a real unpopular subject. And I'm not one, those of you who know me, I'm not one to go searching. I feel like the Lord oftentimes because of my infirmities that He gives me the thoughts that He gives me and they kind of line up and sometimes all begin with the same letter and helps me remember. And I don't do that on purpose. I don't sit for hours trying to figure out. And I'm not knocking anybody that does. But I'm just, it's not about that. I sat right there on the front pew and the Lord said, Hey, you forgot something. I said, What do you mean, Lord? He said, If I'm your father, he said, There are going to be some beatings along the way. And that's not a popular term in our day. Many people have run off in left field with that. I'm not talking about that God is angry with you, that God punishes you, but God corrects you. He'll chast the Bible said in the book of Hebrews, if you belong to him, you will endure chastisement. He scourgeth every son who he receiveth, and chasteneth every son that he loveth. And the writer went on to tell the Hebrew believers, he said, now understand that no chastisement in the present is pleasant. Right now, while we're getting the whooping, it's not pleasing. It's not pleasant. He said, but afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so when God corrects you, and if you belong to Him, According to the Scriptures, we should thank God when we are chastened because it is proof that we belong to God. If we could live any old way we want to and get by, it would be proof that we don't belong to God. But because it grieves us when we do wrong, and because we feel that guidance of the Holy Ghost and we feel that sorrow because we know we have disappointed our Father. We live in a generation, and I didn't know I was going to say all this. I'm not saying it because it's Father's Day. I'm saying it's because it's the truth. We live in a generation that we that they don't understand. And I'm 33 years old, soon to be 34. And even I understand it. Maybe not as much as some of you all. I'm going to tell you the, the two greatest statements that a father could ever make to a child, one has positive re- should have positive reaction and one should have negative reaction, is for a father to say, I'm proud of you or I'm disappointed in you. And when we feel that disappointment in us, that our Heavenly Father is disappointed in us and it grieves us, that's an evident sign that you're in the family of God. That's not my thoughts. That's the book. If it grieves you to know you have grieved your father, it's an evident fact that you're in the family of God. I didn't know I was going to say all this, but I feel like I need to and then I'm done. Growing up, I didn't have a father. Physical father. My grandmother raised me and I had two uncles who were very close. At least one of them was pretty close in age to me, almost like a brother. 
And he was really hard on me. Really hard on me. And I didn't understand it. I feared him like a father and I always was afraid of his disappointment in me. When I felt like he was disappointed in me, it grieved me and bothered me. I remember particular, and I'm just being honest, I'm just saying what I feel like I need to say this morning, I'll be done. I'm not a storyteller, but I feel like I need to say this. I remember one Sunday morning, I was going, me and my wife, she was not my wife at the time, we were dating, I was going to her house to go to church with her, and I wrecked my car. And I called my grandmother and I told her what happened. She said, well, me and your uncle will be over there after church. I went on to church. And she didn't say that meanly, but in my mind, I dreaded when he pulled up in the driveway. Not because he was mean to me. He loved me. But I knew he was going to be disappointed in me. Well, this morning, that was almost nearly 20 years ago, I guess. This morning, I texted him. And I said, Happy Father's Day, and thank you for always being there and support. I don't know what all I said. But he texted me back, and he just, real simple, don't spell everything out, you know. He said, I'm proud of you. I'm a 34-year-old, going on 34-year-old man with four girls of my own. But something in me, it touched me when he told me he was proud of me. Not because I'm arrogant, but because of the respect I have for him. meant something to me that he would be proud of me. But there have been a few times that down on bended knee, I've said, Lord, I ain't too much. But somehow, some way, some voice from another world says, it's okay, son. I'm proud of you. And that's not for me to be arrogant. I don't have anything to be arrogant in this morning. Neither do you. But because he's my father, there are more times I could tell you this morning he's been disappointed in me than he's been proud of me, or at least I've felt that way. But there have been a few times I failed him put his approval on me. And I wouldn't give. I love you all. And it really does mean something to me when you come by and say good preaching or that helped me. That's a blessing. Thank God for it. But I wouldn't trade one of his. I'm proud of you for a thousand anybody else's compliments. Because he's my father. And if you're saved this morning, he's your father. By birth. And He's been your beginning. He's your beginning. He's your now. And He'll be your forever. And with your birth comes a birthright. For you to walk and talk with Him every day. That's why you were designed in the first place. That's what God designed Adam for. To walk and talk and fellowship with. And He wants to walk and talk and fellowship with you more than you want to with Him. But if you are a child of God, there'll be some chastisement, some beatings, some trips to the woodshed, however you want to put it. There'll going to be some of them times. And he said, rejoice, because it just means you're his child. He loves you. 
He said, we reverence our earthly fathers as they correct us and chastise us. He said, they just do it for temporary benefits. He said, how much more should we not love and admire and thank God that our Heavenly Father corrects us for eternal reward? He has an eternal purpose in mind when He chastises you. It's His will for you to be conformed to the image of the elder brother. That's His will for you to be like Christ. And that's why He chastises you to make you more like Him. And I don't know if it's meant anything to anybody else this morning, but it's what I was supposed to preach. And I just want to say I thank God for my Father, my Heavenly Father, who's never failed me. There have been days that if I was Him, I would have kicked me out a long time ago. But He don't think like I think. And He don't react like I react. And He doesn't do like I do. Thank God. I'm glad He's perfect and holy in all His ways. And I'm glad because of what Christ did at Calvary, because of that transaction in my heart all them years ago, that as Christ calls Him Father, so can I, because He is my Father. Lord, I thank You this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to have been able to be in the house of God. What a blessing, Lord, this morning and privilege it is to know, Lord, that You're my Father and I'm Your child. Thank You for every individual that's in the building this morning. Lord, I pray that the Word of God is minister to their heart by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Lord, has encouraged them and strengthened them and helped them today. Lord, thank You that we're a part of the family, that we're in the body, that we're a people bought with a price. Thank You for the opportunity to assemble together this morning and to see every face in the house. I pray for those who are not able to be here today. Lord, wherever they are, would You bless them and help them. Lord, would you continue to keep your hand upon this people, continue to work among us, and we thank you for what you've done. We seek your guidance for the days to come. Trust, Lord, in your ability to lead us along the way. We love you this morning, Lord, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.